Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The wait is finally over. Football is back. Now, look, you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at BetOnline.ag. Maybe you got a little skosh on the Giolito versus Bieber matchup today that's about to kick off in just a couple of minutes. And look, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always that online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses going on right now. Again, betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening to the pod today. It is a White Sox playoff preview today. So who else can I bring on other than the boys that have been with me since the beginning of all of this when the season began? Coming up first, Good Guys Talk Back host, the GGTB man, Nick Murawski. How are you, Nick? Man, I'm doing well, Joey. Nervous, uh, you know, excited, a lot of emotions. Uh, the fact that we're even here talking about playoff baseball after what the season looked like at the beginning of the year is uh, just exciting in general, but a lot of work still to do for this team. It feels real, but it feels great at the same time, and we're going to dive into all of it. Stepping into the batter's box right now, he's got a heart of gold, but he can body slam Nick Madrigal. It's Pat Reedy. Welcome back, Nick Pat. Hey, buddy. Happy to be here. I mean, uh, honest to God, after all the rebuilding we had to watch, we get to talk about playoff baseball. It's a great day. I know. It's not Palka and Visayedo anymore. We're actually talking about playoff matchups. We're talking about who to start game one, game two. It's a great time to be a White Sox fan. Time stamping this right now. The White Sox, Lucas Giolito is about to face off against Shane Bieber against the Cleveland Indians. And it looks like this could possibly be a playoff preview coming next week for the White Sox. So first, let's go to you, Nick. You know, two studs on the on the mound. You know, Bieber's looking at a Cy Young. You know, how do you size up this matchup? It could be a preview of what we might see next week. Yeah, I mean, we have enough video on Bieber. Uh, the, these these players, you know, they're not getting the video in game, but they've been able to prep for this guy. Uh, he, you know, he's a stud. He's an ace. Um, I don't think personally Giolito's quite in that caliber yet, uh, but Bieber is a guy that, you know, is going to attack the zone. I, I could see our hitters being pretty aggressive, you know, going after uh, a guy that probably doesn't walk a lot. You know, his numbers are crazy this year, and he deserves to be in the conversation with the elite in the MLB. But, you know, why not? Why not just try to jump all over this guy? Our numbers are, are, are trending in the right direction historically. Um, I think this is an interesting matchup for us as Sox fans because we got a guy in the hill in Giolito that, you know, he was kind of the first domino that fell in 2016. We got him from the Nationals when this rebuild started. Uh, for Eaton and company and you know he's going to test his medal against you know one of the best in the in the game um, you know it's not a make or break game for Giolito I think he's going to go well because he's, he's stepping up to the occasion this year com uh, competition wise it's a different year you know he's got that no hitter there's a chip on his shoulder and I think he's going to want to you know go out and, and show Bieber and, and Cleveland you know what he's bringing. Yeah, pull out the measuring stick for this game just a little bit, sort of see where you're at, especially with Giolito, too, as well, because he might have to face Bieber again next week. Pat, piggybacking off of that, you know, Giolito's got a lot to prove. He wants to show that he is the ace of this staff, which I think he has shown 
during the regular season. He's going to have to show in the playoffs. But talking about the White Sox hitters facing Shane Bieber, they've had some pretty decent career success against him. But for seeing an ace, perhaps the AL Cy Young, one week before they have to see him in the playoffs, you know, good thing, bad thing, no thing. It almost feels like a weird comedian's perspective of like, you're getting up on stage and you don't want to, you just don't want to shit the bed one week before the comedy festival, if you will. You just want to kind of get out there and, and, and maybe just get a couple jokes in and get off. How do you feel about the Sox facing Bieber a week before they could see him again in the playoffs? Well, a scary guy to face when your bats aren't hot, right? I mean, he'd be scary enough if we were hitting like we were a month ago, but we're not. And so that's a little bit scary. You got a young team. Uh, there's some veteran presence here, but we got some very young guys who I would be a little bit concerned about if I was Ricky, that they're going to go against him this tonight. Let's say it doesn't go well for a team that's already struggling and a group of young guys, then do they then extrapolate out? And then when they face him possibly in the playoffs, are they in their heads a little bit? Are they thinking that, you know, he's got their number, even though like Nick brought up, you know, we've done well against him in the past. Um, I am worried because they are such a young team. And it's very fair concern because if they are spiraling in the wrong direction and we're going to get to Luis Robert and talk about what's going on with him, but you know, sometimes you can dig yourself a deeper hole instead of, you know, continuing to grind and grind and grind. Some of these young hitters got to learn to make these adjustments. So let's start a little bit at the beginning here because there are a lot of concerns going out with these white Sox. but let's add a little context where, you know, we've been doing these pods all season long. And at the beginning we had, hopeful optimism. We had excitement. We just wanted to see a competitive team on the field again. We had so many players that we were excited to just watch for the first time. You know, the White Sox haven't had a winning season, I believe, since what, 2012, 2013. So it's been a little while. And mission accomplished on that front. I think they've answered a lot of questions, not just in terms of their potential, but the talent coming to fruition on the field. They've clinched a playoff spot, still fighting for the division a little bit. A lot to love about this White Sox team and how far we've come. Now let's get to the reality of what's going on right now. Nick, we're going to go to you first. If I'm doing the math correctly, we've lost five out of our last seven. It seems like we've kind of just taken our foot off the gas since we clinched a playoff spot. Where would you put your finger on that? I mean, do you put the finger on maybe these young hitters going through a tough time? Do you put the finger maybe on, you know, Renteria did give the couple guys a blow a couple days after they clinched a playoff spot, you know, put your finger on the pulse of this team and kind of assess kind of where they're at right now as they're scuffling. Yeah. You know, I, in a normal season in a 162 with the season starting in late March or early April, we'd be in mid May right now. So, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, there's some guys that are, that are playing their first full major league season. Um, but I, I don't know. I, Look, I, I don't think there's any players on this team that just said, you know what, I think we should just take the Cincinnati series off a little bit and we should probably lay down in Cleveland and not try so hard. I do think that emo that series with Minnesota last week was pretty damn emotional. And that was the, divis the division champs that we took three out of four from to, to catapult us three games into the lead that we're hanging on to right now. Um, I think, you know, mentally, there's something to that. I don't know physically, you know, I'm sure there's guys that are suffering through some injuries with the zero days off in the last 17 games. Um, I think, you know, they're saying the right things. You know, Abreu came out with a statement today saying what you saw the last few days, things are going to change today from here on out. Like we know that we have to get into a different frame of mind for what we want to accomplish in the postseason. Now, as a lifelong Sox fit, Sox fan, and you guys can relate, 
um, you know, it's refreshing to, to see this team in the postseason. It hasn't happened a lot, and it's been rough since 2016. Uh, we're seeing the rebuild come to fruition. But, you know, I don't know if this is uh, wanting too much as a Sox fan, but they've proven to me that they have the talent. So clinching, why not win the division, though? You can do it. You can win the division. And maybe that's asking too much. But I, that's where I'm getting frustrated right now with the way they're playing. Like, I don't think there are any major injuries. It's just a matter of you, you, you have to eventually get over the hump. You know, we did the playoff, but you can get the division. You can. Pat, I want to hear your thoughts on the White Sox recent, recent struggles. What's your take? You know, I had this thought earlier today is, are we asking too much? Because we did just get the division. These guys, in my opinion, are playing with house money right now. We are ahead of schedule in a way. I mean, yes, were we supposed to be very good this year? Yes. Did we do that? Yes. But, you know, uh, we got Giolito talking about, well, now that they're in the playoffs, I want to win the World Series, which, by the way, is exactly what you want to hear from the ace of your staff. You want those words coming out of his mouth. And you want Abreu saying exactly what he said today. We are going full bore. We took our foot off the gas pedal. So they're saying everything that's right. But there is some part of me that gets a little bit worried that the Sox fan in me is asking too much of a very young squad that has been so much fun and so impressive to watch. Nick, hop back in. Yeah, you're you're, you're right, Pat. Um, in all you know, in all national media at the beginning of the season, I mean, and as Sox fans, we kind of felt like 2020 was going to be a good year, but it probably wasn't going to be our year. 2021 might be the year we're in the you know ALCS. Maybe we're in the World Series. But it looks like we might be a little bit earlier. So that's where I am torn too as a fan. You know, the heart, the head. Yeah, there's a lot of youth on this team that has zero playoff experience. However, they don't know enough to know enough. And they've gotten here on a lot of skill. And I don't think a lot of luck. Just They're, they, they're a, a damn good team. So that's where I'm in my head and heart that that struggle of, I think they can do it. Maybe. Yeah. But maybe I am asking too much as a fan. It's difficult to handle the emotions, right? Because I'm right there with you guys. And I think the white Sox are going to be, you know, odds on favorites, top three or four to win the world series next year, probably in 2021, get ready for that white Sox fans. There's going to be a lot of buzz going on about the South side, but again, these are opportunities in sports that man, they can be so fleeting so fast. I mean, just look at the 2018, you know, uh, 2018 Bears, you know, we're going to have this team, this window's open the next three or four years. Look at the Cubs in 2016. We're going to win multiple titles. You go down the list over and over to all these different teams that get these opportunities and never quite get back there. So when you get that opportunity, you want to cash in on it, right? And I think that's very fair for a White Sox fan to feel right now. Nick, hop back in. Yeah. As soon as you said window, it, bingo, Joey, I, if you look on the other side of the town, I mean, their window is closing. So the desperation to really make noise in the playoffs is real. Our window is also just beginning to open. I foresee this core of five, six years contractually and beyond, and we're going to add more talent in the offseason. So that's the other part of me is saying, okay, deep breaths. We're going to be here for a while. We just are. We've got the talent, and there's more to come. So uh, you're, you're right with that. Good point on the window. I'm also like trying to look at this with a bit of perspective because I remember hopping on a pod with you guys, you know, five, six weeks ago when we started, I think one and five 
and going, what the hell is going on? This is not what we thought was going to show up on the field. This doesn't even look close like it. And then let's be fair to this White Sox team. Once they turn the corner on that, they never looked back. And they've been playing some stellar baseball for a long, long stretch of time. And Nick, I just remember the point that you made where this would just be mid-May right now. You know, teams mm-hmm. lose five out of seven all the time. Even the great ones, even the ones that go on to win a World Series, hit these little weird rough patches. Now, is the timing terrible? Absolutely. No doubt about it. And they have to figure it out if they want to do something next week. But at the same time, I have seen this team, you know, put something like this, a rough stretch kind of behind them a little bit and wake up and start to play better baseball. Now, there's a couple of players in the lineup right now that I have serious concerns about that, unfortunately, are trending in a particular way that I don't know if they're going to be able to rebound as quickly as we want to. But I think as a team, I've just been really impressed this season with, you know, our rotation fell apart very quickly. And we've been able to kind of keep it together. Obviously, the top of our rotation is elite. And then the middle, you know, Dane Dunning coming out of nowhere. Ronaldo Lopez, surprisingly, has given us just a little bit of an effort uh, at times in the last couple of these starts. The bullpen looks really solid. Adam Engel's hitting 300. I mean, there's a lot to like, like about this team depth-wise. And I'm just really curious to see, you know, over these next couple of games, do they take it easy? Or do they really start grinding and trying to, like, get, like, let's start our lineup every single day. We need to be hitting on all cylinders when we head, head into the playoffs. Reedy, Pat, what would you think you would prefer to see as a White Sox fan? Take it easy. You know, give Tim Anderson that day off this coming Saturday against the Cubs, you know, or the last day of the season. Or would you like to see the whole lineup back there, you know, trying to get back into a groove? I think there's something to be said for having the whole lineup back there. I, I, I just always remember – Remember those Seattle teams in the 90s and early aughts that just ran gangbusters through baseball just all the time, over 100 wins, uh, just killed teams. And then they would rest guys, and then they got in big trouble in the playoffs almost always. I don't want that to happen to these guys. I also think while this is a young team and that has its downsides, I think it has its upside in this. You can play those guys all the time. They are young. You're not you know, resting aching bodies of like a 35, 36-year-old star. These are young dudes who should be able to go every day if they can. Watching Encarnacion run sometimes does make me feel like we might have a couple of aching bodies running around the yeah. clubhouse. Go ahead and rest Encarnacion. Yeah, that, that one's fine. It's just the Tim Andersons of the world, the Mancadas. Go ahead and let them get some, uh, get some run. But I'm right there with you, Nick, you know, kind of pivoting over to if you could – pick one thing that you kind of want to see from this White Sox team over the next four or five days as they prepare to go to their first playoffs in the, you know, for the first time in the last eight years, what would that be? Well, there's a couple, I think, uh, pitching and offensively, the stuff that I wanted to see is actually happening. And I love it. Uh, getting crochet in there to throw some, some, some intense late inning, uh, late game innings, if we're going to, if he's going to be on the playoff roster, which why not get him some of that intense experience right now. And he's been getting it, get guys like Foster and Hoyer who are rookies into some intense moments and have them pitch out of it right now. I think that is going to be a critical experience Uh, offensively. I mean, I think Abreu and Anderson, you know, they're chasing some personal goals and a guy like Abreu just doesn't want to be out the lineup when he's looking for an MVP you know, we'll see how Anderson is. I know he was pulled, you know, a couple of games ago because of a calf muscle or something. He seems to be okay, but you definitely want those guys healthy. 
I, I'm looking at at bats. You know, I, I think we'll talk more about maybe individual players like Robert, but their approach, you know, if they're getting into the right approach and how they're seeing pitches, how they're working in account, um, you know, I, you have to have a plan up there. And it, it seems like guys like Robert might have gotten away from their plan. Um, and, and, you know, the plan might not be working right now. It's like I'm doing all the work. I'm baby stepping, but it's just not happening. And, and I think that's when it might click in the playoffs. You know, sometimes it just ha- – you can't keep good players down for too long. I think it's eventually going to happen. Uh, and it's just frustrating because I do, like, like you guys, believe, you know, I want to see a, in a lineup, the, the lineup. This is the lineup we're using for the playoffs. I want to see it clicking right now to almost have a running start into Tuesday. Pat, hop in. And there is something to be said for if you are going to have what would have been the dog days of summer for this team, kind of that mid of a regular season happening, you'd want it to happen now, give them time to correct, time to talk about it, figure it out, and then be full tilt boogie in the playoffs. That's what you would want. So like if we have to choose the drought, I guess I'll take it here because the prospect of it being next week looks no good. Yeah, the bumps coming right now, or even the uber hot streak coming right now, is probably something that you would prefer not to see. Nick, hop back in. Yeah, I, you know, uh, Pat had a great point about Seattle, and I think teams like Atlanta, too, back in the 90s, that would, like, clinch their division weeks before the playoffs, and they didn't make any noise. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you guys ever heard this, like, like in PE class. When you take the 50-yard the dash or the 100-yard dash test, always run against somebody that's faster than you. You might lose, but your speed is going to increase. And it feels that way right now in this Cleveland series. They're playing a very hot Cleveland team right now that, you know, was really scraping to get into the playoffs. They had to, and they got in it last night. And these these losses, these bumps that the, the Sox are taking right now, yeah, it, it hurts, but they might learn from this come playoff time, and it, and it could turn into a win, not a W. Pat, hop back in. That's a great point, Nick, because this is not happening against my favorite Pittsburgh Pirates. You know what I'm saying? This is happening happening against a very good ball club who's also going to be in the playoffs and hopes to make some noise there. And from the look of their team this series, I mean, they have a real good chance to. So I think that's a great point by Nick. Coming against some real tough competition. And like last night's game, was that a backbreaker? It was for a fan. That was really killer to lose – in 10 and in the way that we did that was that that felt bad but you know this is a very good Indians team and and Nick's right we got to remember that a couple things about that too they said Colome had back spasms so it doesn't look like we're going to see him probably maybe one more time if they can get him back before the playoffs starts so we'll kind of see how that goes they had to kind of open up the bullpen and turn to Foster he wasn't able to get the job done and you know just I want to ask a quick question real quick and it's a big question and it's regarding crochet um can we get a guy, uh, a jersey that fits? Um, there's, there's something really interesting going on. You mentioned PE class, and it kind of hit a light bulb in my head. It sort of feels like he's the kid that transferred middle of the school year, and they don't have the proper size shirts for him. So he's just – or he shopped for himself because both his parents worked jobs, and he had to go out like – I don't know, the sleeves are like mega short, and then the, the pants, can we – Whoever wants to hop in on this, we got to come up with some sort of plan. Nick, I mean, help me, help me break this down. I mean, he's a Let's tall do, drink of water, but it's a problem. Yeah. 
listen, go find some old video of when Randy Johnson got traded at the trade deadline to Houston. Yes. You think he had to pitch like the next day after being traded and they didn't have a Jersey that fit him <laughs> properly. They just threw his last name on the back. Here's a number. And then I think after a few starts, he finally got a more fitting Jersey, but yeah, he, it, it was, you know, halfway up his arm uh, and, and I think, you know, Crochet's, you know, what is he, 6'6"? Six, six? He's, a, he's a big dude. But, yeah, he looks like they went over to, you know, Unique Thrift Shop, and they're like, we're going to find just, you know, a socks. You know, somebody gave away a jersey. We're going to find one, and you're going to wear it. We'll figure this out later. But, yeah, he, he looks ill-fitted, right? We just have a youth large left. I'm sorry, Crochet. Um, Pat, hop in. Joey, this is just another reason I love you and your podcast, because it's not like we got to talk about this. This is very important. It's not arm angle. It's not, is he going to, you know, over, overthrow himself? It's instead, his jersey's not the right size. But it's absolutely the first thought I had when I watched him pitch. I was like, wow, he's throwing heat. And then it was like, what the hell is he wearing? I feel I bad mean, for the kid. He's going to be under the bright lights in the playoffs very, very soon. And what do we want him to look like a dumpski? Not on my watch. Come on. I know. I'm with you. And, you know, it is, it's like a video game uh, just comes to life. It's like you would make a pitcher on a video game prototype like this dude, just throwing absolute gas all the time. But I do feel like he's so new. He can't go to the, you know, uniform guy and go, Hey, um, the sleeves, you know, I, I don't know if we can do anything about this. He's who so you happy again? to be there. Uh, right, who, right. who are you? Uh, he's so happy to be there. And you know, he's a rookie. He doesn't know any better. I got on a list of like crotchet. I don't know who, who are you? Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like after a couple of weeks, you might get comfortable enough to say I need a new Jersey. We're working on it. I mean, you know, the playoffs is still new to us, so we, we still have a little bit of time to get into it. Um, let's move over to the offense. We've kind of teased it just a little bit here. And let me just start by saying this. You know, Tim Anderson, Eloy Jimenez, Jose Abreu, three guys that I don't think either of us are worried about this time, and X-Factors and guys that, you know, other teams are going to be fearing and dudes that we're going to be counting on. But let's look at other guys in the lineup right now. I think we could probably say something about almost anyone else in the lineup. So, Pat, I want to go to you first on this one. You know, give me one player that, you know, just has you a little concerned right now and a guy that you think we need to turn it around quickly if we're going to have success in the playoffs. I I felt this way about this guy for the last couple of months, but Yohan Moncada, ever since he's come back post-COVID, he's given interviews where he says he does not feel right still. He doesn't have the same energy. He doesn't have the same anything when he comes to the ballpark we are still in the infancy stage of learning about how, how COVID is affecting athletes. We know it's at the very least negative. We don't know how it's going to work, but it doesn't look good for him. It's a, it's worrisome at best. I mean, like I think uh, a guy that we really need to do well, if we're going to make it far in the playoffs would be Mankata. And if he's not a hundred percent, maybe there's some other lingering issue that we don't know about right now, but um, man, it, it's tough to watch. And from a guy who you know is a stud because he's proved it to us. And a lot of weird things going on with him too as well where he's not really running that hard to first base. It seems like every ever since he took that rocket off the shin maybe about three and a half weeks ago, he just hasn't seemed to be the same player. And Nick, I want to ask you, you know, what are you, what are you seeing from him at the plate? Because I'm kind of seeing him revert a little bit back to the stuff that we saw in 2018 where he's swinging through you know, red meat fastballs, you know, on the inner portion of the plate, dead center. Um, you know, what are you seeing from Yohan Makata? And, and do you think there's hope for him to turn it around? 
I mean, there's there's hope. Uh, there really is. But, you know, I he just looks a little lost. Like, he doesn't have a plan or he's guessing. Uh, the, the, some of the pitches he takes, and, I, and I'll give him this, man, the, the strike zones, notably last night, have been all over the place. Uh, and it's been really unfortunate all over Major League Baseball. But, um, you know, some of the things he's taken, some of them are middle-middle. And it looks like he just, his expression when he walks back to the dugout, looks like he just, he can't figure it out. He looks like he's in pain mentally. Like he just can't pull the trigger. Like there's something that's holding him back. Like he wants to swing, but there's just a mental block. He doesn't look comfortable at all. I mean, he's still a threat in the lineup. He has the sweetest swing, I think, on, on the team. Uh, and if he gets a hold of one, I mean, you know, with, more, with with runners on base, he he has to be in the lineup. He just has the potential, but he just looks lost. And, and to be honest with you, I'm not counting on much from him. Uh, if we get anything, that's great. But I, he just looks like he he really might need the off season to figure out, you know, from from COVID or whatever it is, what's going on with him. Um, and I'm going to ask this question, but let's do a caveat first. I am not advocating in the playoffs that we bench Yon Mankata and we don't bring him back. But before we move on to another player, I want to get both of your guys' opinion on this because I understand the move, but at the same time, I'm a little bit scratching my head and you move to the playoffs where are you guys on board with Yomer Sanchez over Danny Mendick? Now, Danny Mendick can play third base. And, you know, Danny Mendick was, you know, was a fun little side joke at the beginning of the season. But I think I've been so impressed with the kid you know, making solid contact. He's got a little bit more power than I thought he had. He can play third base. I just like kind of the juice that he was bringing to the bottom of the lineup. You know, moving forward, this is just, we're talking insurance here. Not that he's going to be getting starts over Moncada. Um, You know, Pat, we'll go first. Then I want to hear from Nick. Do you prefer Yomer Sanchez or Danny Mendick right now? I know Sanchez won a gold glove, but. I'm Mendick right now, just from, like you were saying, what he brought when he had the opportunity. And so, so when I'm looking as like a plug and chug player where I can plug you in and I know what I'm going to get, I feel like I know what I'm going to get from him putting him in the lineup. I know that, you know, he plays a very competent third base. So I think we talked about it a couple of pods ago, a very competent third. You can move him around. You know, he's a contact guy. Um, that's where I'd be leaning. Nick, Yomer Sanchez or Danny Mendick, it, just in a playoff scenario coming off the bench, you know, who would you prefer? It's a hell of a question. It's a question I never thought in 2020 we'd be talking about. Um, you know, I, who's our I'm backup go, utility infielder yeah, as we make know, a, a right? stretch for the uh, World Series? We're back, baby. I, I, I'm going to go against the grain, and I'll explain myself. I, I, I will. I will take Sanchez. And, and if you, you know, we've talked off off podcasts, you know, multiple times. I've, you know, I've said this to other people that I thought we were done with the Yolmer experiment, but. There is something about him. You know, he flashed some, some leather last night in, in a great catch. He won a gold glove. And when he was in the lineup offensively in previous years, he seemed to just always find his way on base. And I feel like this is where my heart is leaning. He's been on so many bad Sox teams. I kind of want him to have this. Just have this, man. Just have this. Paging Daniel Palka. Come on, guys. Yeah. Some guys deserve <laughs> no, it. People no, deserve it. No, no. No, no, no. Uh, no, no Kobe. I don't want Dylan Kobe back. Um, but there's something about, you know, Sanchez. I mean, he get he finds his way on base, you know, argue with me on that. And I, and I, and I get it, man, Mendick has performed when he's given the chance, but between the two, I'm, I'm going to take Sanchez because, because of the gold glove. 
And this is what's so sweet about this season, right? For the first time in years, we were talking about White Sox teams with the phrase, we don't have room for you, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. Pat, hop in. Honest to God, we have a gold glove guy sitting on the bench, and we have an all-star catcher who we play sometimes. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. unbelievable. I mean, it's like an embarrassment of riches. It's, it, this is not White Sox baseball as we have known it in the last decade or so. It's really – these are great problems to have. I mean, this is so awesome that we get to talk about which, you know, backup utility guy you're going to use, the gold glover or the guy who's produced a ton. Or, you know, like, which catcher are we going to play, the great one or the other great one? It's unbelievable to have these kind of issues. By the way, at positions, catcher and utility infielders, that have just been a giant problem for the White Sox for a number of years. It's been a nightmare. Yeah, our backup catcher's hitting 320-something. It's, it's pretty sweet. Let's do a lightning round on something before we get to the player. I think we all know that we, we want to talk about and dissect. You know, moving forward, just looking at the playoffs right field, Nick, you're going to go first. What's your preference, Nomar Mazzara or Adam Engel in right field? Oh, sweet. Joey, it's, not a, it's a no-brainer. Engel every day. Um, don't even get – we could have a whole separate podcast on why it should be Engel every single day, and I probably have done parts of it, you know, throughout this season. Uh, I've seen enough. It, it's Adam Engel. Yeah, I want to see Nomar Mazzara and Jason Hayward do, like, an over-the-top arm wrestling because all we hear is about how big, tall, and strong they are. And they think they've combined for maybe six home runs this season between the two of them. Uh, keep the angles in the outfield, baby. Uh, I, you know, that's what I want. And uh, I, I'm with Nick. Just really quick. It, it's also when, when Angle gets the opportunities, and they're usually late game substitutions, when we need him, uh, most notably last night, he performs. He delivers. And we're just not talking about a seeing guy single. Man, the guy's got power, and he's demonstrated it this year. So let's get to, I think, the biggest concern, the biggest red flag going on with the White Sox right now, uh, Luis Robert. And I'm going to read off some stats for you guys, and then I just want to hear your thoughts and what you're seeing with the eye test and what you think and how the guy can get out of the slump moving forward. You know, he's in a one-for-22 slump right now, five for his last 50. That's a 100 batting average, folks, in the last 15 games. He's hitting 190 in his last 30, hitting 097 in September combined he was hitting 297 july and august heading into that so i mean we're talking about you know we're talking about really falling down off the mountain here on this one only one extra base hit over his last 64 at bats 24 k's in that span having a really hard time hitting right-handed pitching you know we talked about in previous pods about how he was punishing early early in the count pitches first pitch and then as the, the counts got a little bit deeper he would struggle Pat, we're going to open it up with you. What are you seeing from Luis Robert? Do you think he can get, get out of it? And what would you say, what advice could you possibly give him to get out of it? Uh, don't do anything I would do as a baseball player. Um, I, honest to God, I, we need him to play a little less like it. Reedy and play a little correct, more like correct. Robert. <laughs> correct. Correct. I mean, I, there is a little bit of you worry that the league is coming around on him a little bit, which we've seen with all these guys once they have big starts. Um, you know, the league starts to figure out that he's, he's looking for that first pitch, right? And so maybe they give you garbage on the first pitch because they know as you extend counts, like Joey alluded to, he doesn't do as well. So, all right, let's get him deep in account. Let's see what we can do, and then we can try and get rid of him. Um, it's a major concern. I mean, Big Frank saying that they're, you know, wasting him by putting him in the seven hole. Uh, you know, I think he's very lucky. He's on a team with Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu playing the way that they are right now because they take a little bit of the focus 
off of him so he can kind of go through these struggles and try and find his path back. But it, it's a major concern right now. And also it kills me because I love watching this guy bat. And it's been so tough to do La Pantera right there. It's been so tough to watch him, you know, like you said, this past month, it's been brutal. So I want it from a fan perspective, but I need it from a team perspective because without him carrying a heavy bat, he's a great center field still, but man, do we need that bat. He went from on September one in an ESPN article debating whether he should not just be rookie of the year, but possibly be alongside AL MVP with Jose Abreu. And now he's hitting 225. He struck out three times last night. Nick, what are you seeing from Luis Roberts at bats, and and how do you think he can get out of it? Well, I mean, having Mazzara hit behind him has not done him any favors, uh, and it doesn't look like that. I mean, that's not going to stop anytime soon, it looks like. Roberts continuing to hit seventh. Beside, you know, Pat mentioned – you know, the pregame and postgame, Frank Thomas screaming for him to hit higher, maybe in the two hole where he's got Anderson in front and uh, Abreu behind him to just to kind of force his way out of a slump. Uh, what I see when watching the game, you know, he cannot lay off breaking pitches and he really hasn't all season long, but he was hitting the mistakes and he's just not doing that at this time. You know, Mankata and Aloy went through this stuff in, in 2018 and 2019, but they were never as hot as, a, as Robert was. So I think we were spoiled a little bit for seeing that trajectory. It, it went so so high so quickly with Robert that this cool-off period, which is pitchers figuring him out, him pressing now that he's slumping, the, the, the peak was so high that the drop also, the gap is also so great. And we're, we're in awe, like, how is this happening? I think he can break out of it. I don't know if it's going to be in time for the playoffs, but he, this guy is going to be a monster in his career, and he's going to learn from this stuff moving forward. I mean, how lucky it is he as a 23-year-old that he's going to be in the playoffs soon. I mean, that's just going to be great experience. Um, I'd like him to, you know, to get back being aggressive like he was before, but uh, that discipline on breaking balls is, is something to watch out for. Pat, hop in. You know, I was talking earlier about playing with house money and are we expecting too much? Well, he might be the poster boy for that, for Sox fans, because he gave us so much in the first half of the season, uh, really a rookie season uh, first half, unlike anything we'd seen in quite some time. So are we crazy to not expect a slump like this? I think maybe the question, because young dude uh, getting closer and closer to the playoffs, um, you know, there's so much for him to get used to and, and get used to pitchers getting used to him and everything else. So, you know, he might be the poster child for White Sox fans that may be asking a little too much because this is the norm. MLB players, even really, really good ones, go through stretches like this. The question is, because he hasn't proved it before, is can he weather the storm and come back? And that's why we're talking about it today because that's all of our hope, but it's also our concern. And that's the problem is we're only looking at so many games now, you know, as opposed to a 162, you know, you go through a one for 22 slump. You're right. That happens to guys all the time. They can work their way out of it. I'm honestly a little bit surprised that it didn't happen a little bit earlier. And I think that's a testament to Robert where I thought, I thought after that 2025 game mark, they, the, the pitchers are just going to be like, all right, well, we're not throwing anything over 93 miles an hour at this guy for the next like week. And we're going to see what happens. Um, you guys are bringing up great points where we have been kind of messing around with the number two hole in our lineup now for quite some time. And man, 
Luis Robert, I think, is an excellent, excellent, excellent choice to go in there for these playoffs. Get him some fastballs in front of Abreu. You know, make him make these pitchers at least like work a little bit early on in the count and give him something to hit. And there's a part of me that, you know, it's been going on for quite some time. So I'm starting to ask myself, how long is this slump going to last versus his raw skills moving forward? I want to ask you guys this question. I kind of just thought of it where, and this is very debatable. So however you guys feel, Nick, you're going to go first. Do you think maybe it's actually advantageous for Robert to play a team like the Indians in the playoffs next week, who he has already seen multiple times as opposed to a team that he hasn't faced at all? Or do you think maybe that's a disadvantage because the Indians maybe have their, his number right now? That's a great question, Joey. I'm going to lean towards playing a team that uh, he has not seen much of like a Toronto or, uh, you know, maybe New York or Houston, however the matchups go. Honestly, I think, you know, what happened to him at the beginning of the year is he was just catching teams off guard and he was just not in his head so much. Uh, I, I could see the advantages of seeing, you know, a familiar opponent uh, like a Cleveland or a Minnesota, but I, I think they're going to have too much information on him and he's going to get in his head. He's going to second guess. I want him how he was at the beginning of the year, just off raw talent, you know, just doing what he does as a baseball player. And honestly, I think that's going to come from a team he hasn't seen before. Yeah. That's the question, right? With the Indians, they got a thick book on Luis Robert now at this point, of course, he's got some experience now Would yeah, maybe seeing some fresh arms and, you know, someone throws a hanger from an arm angle that he, you know, can just re read and react and swing on Pat. I want to hear your thoughts, you know, facing the Indians next week, Good thing or bad thing for Robert? Well, there's the other side of the coin that, that Nick was talking about, right? Where, well, the same information that the Indians have on this guy, you know, Houston's going to have the book on him too, right? Or anybody else. So, you know, it's really difficult. I, I, honest to God, I don't know which way I would go on this. Because I think the, the headpiece is really hard to go against the Indians. Because I think he's a young guy who's not had a lot of success against them. And that might be really, really tough. And I like what Nick's saying, where you're going against somebody who you haven't gone against yet. Maybe you can go back, hit the reset button a little bit, and just kind of go back to what got you here, which was just playing baseball free and easy, not overthinking anything. And maybe it takes a different jersey across the mound from you to do that. And I'm just hoping to see over the next four or five games, him just square up a couple of baseballs. You know, I don't care if they leave the park. I don't care if their line drives at the shortstop for outs. I just want to see him kind of get back a little bit to, you know, we've been talking all season long about his exit velo and, you know, his ability to go the opposite field and everything. And that is something that I'd like to see us maybe just get some glimpses of to maybe give us some hope, like heading into next week that, you know, at any moment, you know, his raw skills and his talent can become an X factor in, in a short playoff series. Like we're going to be looking at next week, Nick hop in. Yeah, you know, it's not even really resolved at this point for me personally as a fan. It's the quality of the at-bat. It's the game within the game. And if he's having, if he's squaring stuff up and he's having really good at-bats, he's working counts, he's disciplined. And you know what? They're playing him perfectly or he's getting robbed or it's just not working out for him. You know what? That's going to, that'll pass. Those, those, those baseballs will see their way. Uh, you know, throughout the field, that's going to happen. So, yeah, it's just getting, man, just getting some quality at-bats in now. Yeah, Pat, hop in. I totally agree with Nick. I think it's about seeing the barrel on the bat and not the confused look on the face back to the dugout, right? That's what we want. We would just want the competent and confident. 
I think if we get those two pieces from any of these hitters, that's what we're really looking for as Sox fans. And we only got a few more games left, and then we'll be heading towards the playoffs. Our opponent is still a little bit up in the air, but we are looking as of right now today to play the Indians. It's the end of the season, guys, so I feel like we're going to wrap up this pod, you know, maybe just doing some White Sox superlatives for the season. You know, let's give out some awards. Let's dish out uh, some grades and awards for people. Let's just start real quick. Don't have to spend a ton of time on each one, but let's just start real quick. Pat, you're going to go first. Give us your grade for Ricky Renteria this season. Man, you know, just the the bandwidth he's given these guys to have fun and the breath of fresh air that he's brought, I, I would give him an A. Do I like all of the stuff that he did with the bullpen? No, but um, I think if you have a team this young where they are, I, I'd have to give him an A. Nick, what is your grade for Ricky Renteria this season? Yeah, I, I would agree with Pat. No, no question. I mean, uh, his, his back was really against the wall too early on in the season with this club. And, uh, you know, they got out of it and they're playoff bound. And uh, he was brought in to get this team to the next level. Um, now, we're not there yet. We're, we're not talking World Series champs yet. But for this season, for this situation, yeah, I'm giving him an A. Yeah, I got to go across the board. Going to go A minus. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, I was giving Ricky Renteria, you know, the whole, this is your season. The pressure's on you to lead a winning team for the first time in your career. And look, the dude has done it. And they started off one in five and they were able to turn around. I think that has a little bit to do with the manager. You know, we were talking a lot about this season about some of the lineup construction that we, that we absolutely hated at times. I feel like that that is evened out just a little bit. There are a couple of days where I look at it and I go, Seriously, but other than that, but other than that, I have to applaud him for that. And you know what? In terms of bringing on guys like Dane Dunning and bringing up like a dude we've already mentioned today, Crochet, and giving some young guys some chances and just being like, hey, we're putting you out there and we have confidence in you. I think that starts at the top with the manager to be able to run this blend of veterans and young guys getting their first taste in the major leagues winning, being successful, and then also bringing up some new guys along the way. I applaud him for that. I got to give him an A-minus and give him credit. You know, I was critical of him at the beginning of the season, and I, I feel a lot better about our situation moving forward after this year. Pat, hop in. And like you said, I, I will keep this short, but like Ricky bringing those pitchers in, the young guys, when he is doing it, shows that Ricky's playing the long game on this too, which I really like. He's getting guys opportunities probably too soon, but trying to bring these guys along as fast as we can. And as a Sox fan, I love that. That's an awesome point too, because let's be real. Column a isn't going to be our closer for the next three or four seasons. And we're not going to go out and probably spend big money. Spending big money on a closer is perhaps one of the dumbest things you can do in major league baseball. You got to grow that from within. And I, that's a really great point that he's thinking long-term and like we're talking about 2021, 2022, when we're really hopefully going to be making some noise he is hopefully laying the groundwork and, you know, planting those seeds right now. Nick, you're going to go first on this one. Most improved on the White Sox this season. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, not easy. Boy, uh, most improved. You know, I, I was really happy with, uh, you know, what Aloy has done um, in terms of how he has used the field. You know, we talk a lot about Anderson, how he's become such an unbelievable hitter. But what Aloy has started to do and use the whole field and hit to right field. And, you know, he's had some real hot streaks that have been unbelievable. Um, I feel like the, the easy one would be a brave for me, but I, I'm going to go with Aloy. Pat, who do you got for most improved on the White Sox? Man, I, I mean, Nick took the words out of my mouth. I think a brave would, would have to be there for me. I mean, 
the level of consistency that he's shown, even while these other guys are struggling, as kind of like the North Star for these dudes, kind of be like, all right, well, look at what Jose's doing, right? And follow that, match that energy, match that drive, match what he's doing. Even in games where we're getting like smoked and we can't hit anything, he's got the RBI single up the middle, or Jose's got the homer to left, uh, you know, out of nowhere. To have a guy that is a leader and a humble leader is something that I really appreciate, and especially this season with all the young guys. I think Jose has just been unbelievable. Yeah, he's been absolutely um, unbelievable. Not to repeat myself, but it's true. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's on pace for 60 RBIs right now. He can actually get there. That was a weird watermark with the 60-game schedule of, like, can a guy actually do it? Abreu's knocking on that doorstep right now. Most improved at first, my first instinct was to say, is it possible to name Tim Anderson? You know, after a season that he had last year, and this year it's just like, Last year just seemed like, you know, this, this phenomenal, this hot streak, you know what I mean? This white hot fire fever that he went on. And this year it's just like Tim Anderson's just one of the best hitters in the game. You know, then that's a bit of an ascension that I've felt that he's been able to elevate his game to. But I'm going to go in a different direction, actually. I'm going to say Dallas Keuchel. Now, Keuchel was not on the team last year, so this seems kind of like I'm cheating a little bit. But Dallas Keuchel last year couldn't get a contract. Dude, former Cy Young dude. Let go by the Astros, didn't get a contract, came over to the Braves, pitched, had a three and a half ERA. I was looking at his numbers. I watched a dude pitch and I was like, man, that just feels like one of those veterans who gives you one of those gritty five inning efforts. Some days it's two runs, other days it's three or four, keeps you in the ball game. And then you're kind of sort of happy. But this season, I've been so impressed with Dallas Keuchel that, you know, you called it so early on, Nick, when he called out the team in the clubhouse, I kind of thought, a little bit differently. I thought it was a little bit almost a selfish move, but man, you were so right on, right on it about him taking the lead in creating accountability for people in that clubhouse. And then the dude goes out and does it on the mound. I mean, he's back to that ground balls all day long. Every single time he starts, he's good for pretty much six or seven innings. Every single time his ERA has been under three and truly like for a, for a free agent signing pitching wise, I'm trying to rack my head around, you know, is he the best free agent pitcher that the Sox have signed in the last, what, 10 or 15? I mean, go through the Javier Vasquez and the Jake Peavies and on and on and on. So many other guys. I mean, Keuchel's been a revelation. I've loved what I've seen with him. I'm going with him with most improved. Nick, hop in. Yeah, um, I, I think the other key with with Keuchel is he's he's improved the almost the idea of what a pitcher uh, can be doesn't necessarily need to be. You do not have to throw 97, 98 miles an hour. And that's what guys like Cease, um, you know, and Kopech and, and so forth are throwing. He's saying, he's showing a lot of our young pitchers that as years pile on, you need to think smarter, not harder. And, I, and I'm giving you the playbook. You know, you, you need to mix up your speeds, keep uh, hitters off balance, hit the corners, you know, manage a ground ball type pitch, a, a sinker. And, and I think that, you know, you can't put a price on that with a young pitching staff. Pat, hop in. What you described, Joey, is like Rick Hahn's wet dream. It is ground balls all day and eating up innings for the positive. That's what Rick Hahn has told us he's looking for. And he went out and got his guy. And I, I'm with you. I love it. Yeah, it's like uh, hearkening back to the days of when John Garland was rocking and rolling. You know, that was that was really like kind of his bread and butter. And I've just loved what I've seen from Dallas Keuchel. And I feel really confident about him going in a game two situation, no matter who we face. 
Let's go to, I think this is pretty obvious across the board, but we haven't really talked about, a lot about him on the pod, and we should. MVP on offense. I'm just going to go first because you guys might disagree with me or not, but it's got to be Jose Abreu. Dude's got 19 home runs, I think 57 RBIs. He's hitting over 320. And we've been sharing in text messages, but maybe let's walk through this on the pod now. This guy is now trending towards being, you know, his legacy on the White Sox right now. If it, it was being written before, but now it is being truly solidified. And maybe we could just start here and whoever wants to hop in. Just Jose Abreu is becoming Mr. White Sox, right? And I'm legitimately rooting for him for putting up numbers during all those terrible, terrible years of, you know, bad White Sox teams. And now that we're good, it's just that classic tale of a guy getting a chance to taste success still at the top of his game. And I just love watching Jose Abreu. And if we win a World Series, I hope he has a statue outside of Guaranteed Rate Field. Pat, hop in. I think what we're watching is a guy carry the crown that Frank wore and then Paulie wore and now pass to Jose. All first base, not lost whatsoever, but a guy that you can really root for. Also the same kind of Paulie um, loyalty to the organization kind of stuff that we always heard from Canerco, which you love to see from a guy who's dedicated to your team that is not always a big destination for free agents. The other thing that I really liked was there's video um, of Tim Anderson, who's also a very capable MVP candidate himself, going up to Jose post game after a big win and putting the letters MVP and pointing to Jose. Like that's the kind of teammates you want too, right? Like you have two great players on a team, if not, you know, like five, which I think we might, uh, you may be able to argue, but that are not in competition with one another and instead trying to like lift each other up. It's a great place to be. He also started the crazy number trend on the White Sox as well, starting with the 79 and now the numbers, the numbers are coming from all over the place. Nick, just, you know, your thoughts on Jose Abreu, the impact that he's had on the White Sox this year. And I don't think it's an understatement to say substantial. Yeah, I, you know, I think back to 2014, I, w- I was at opening day and he hit a home run and uh, we, we kind of started to feel as Sox fans, I think at that point, like that money was well spent internationally and we didn't really know what kind of player he was and, and all those stories have come out and this guy, I'm telling you, whether you are into retired numbers or not, you know, I, he's going to have the number 79 will be retired. And whether he's going to have a stature or not, hopefully he does. I'm, ha- I'm so happy that he gets to experience playoff baseball. And I think he has several years to come. Not only is his offense just, you know, unf- he's top five in every offensive category. And, and, and he's not only the MVP on the Sox, but he's the MVP in the American League. But his defense has gotten so much better. Uh, you know, he's never going to, you know, win any contests for throwing. Most first basemen don't. But his fielding, his scooping, I mean, he, he's like a cat out there at first base. Uh, and that has been fun to watch. And, yeah, Pat, great point. You know, Anders, the, the way the team builds up each other and the things you hear from uh, Mancada or Aloy and, and how they go to Abreu, you know, after games or in games and they get advice from him, or they simply will just say, if we want to know how to do something, we watch Abreu and he gives us to it in real time during a game. That just gives me chills hearing that. And I just remember when he was first signed with the White Sox and, you know, you can be, you can get jaded and cynical as a sports fan when they were saying, you know, he was the Albert Pujols of the DR league when we brought him over, you know, and this was his version. And, you know, this town has seen 
you know, uh, Mr. Zero, Shingo Takatsu on the south side, Kosuke Fukudome, you know what I mean? These guys that are heralded from these other leagues around the world coming to the major leagues and unfortunately l- failing to live up to expectations. But and this is why I root for Jose Abreu. From day one, like you mentioned, that he put on a White Sox uniform, the dude was hitting screamers all over the baseball field. And then you just watch the guy, and, you know, his fingers are taped up. His helmet looks like it was th- ran through the Ozzy Guillen car wash of like, you know, the, 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 pine <laughs> the, yeah, the pine tar that's like on top there, you know, he's got the huge lip in, wasn't a big fan of the rubber banded goatee, but I'm totally cool with it now. I mean, people, it's the, it's the fall fashion. Unbutton your Jersey four or five, maybe even go six down and just let it out. Cause you got to let the chains dangle a little bit. I just love the style that he brings. He just looks like a baseball player to me. And from day one, I've been able to root for Jose Abreu. I still am doing it to this day. And now the dude's going to be AL MVP. It's just pretty amazing to watch Nick hop in. Yeah. And, and last week during the Minnesota series, which was an unbelievably large series, I mean, who came up big in most of those games? It was Abreu. And, who and came I up think, big last night? Absolutely. And, it, you know, so I, when it comes to the playoffs, you know, these types of players, they rise to the top, man. They Something internally, instinctually, it just clicks in. And, and a guy, and I know he hasn't been in the playoffs, but he's been in big games and we've seen him rise this season. And I look for him, man. I look for him to just take every opportunity, knowing I'm finally here. I'm going to let the world know, you know, I've been hiding away from national media, but I'm here now and I see him having a huge series. Wrapping up the superlatives, this one might be a little bit harder to answer than you think. The most fun, the White Sox player that is most fun to watch. Pat, we're going to go to you first. Who is the most fun White Sox player to watch this season? Man, there's a lot of them. I know there's so many. I'm just going to go with the pitching because I think it's, a little less obvious, but it would have been Dane Dunning two weeks ago. But now for me, it's crochet because I mean, watching a guy throw 102 on the regular, like he had 11 of 19 pitches were over 100. I mean, that, that's unbelievable. Crazy. So, I, I mean, you don't get to see it all the time. Nick is right. He's going to have to learn how to pitch differently as he ages. But right now, Bobby Jenks it, baby. Throw heat and do it as often as you can, uh, and I, I'm happy to watch. He's a young man. He's got growth spurt coming. He can age out of that jersey, too, as well. <laughs> we got to figure it out. Can someone get on it? Please, anybody. Nick, who's uh, the White Sox player or, or maybe unit or staff that's most fun for you to watch? Gosh, uh, you know, it, Robert jumps off the page for a lot of different reasons, um, but I'll tell you what, man. I have really enjoyed every at-bat that Madrigal gives me, and he, you know, his two strike counts, his average when he's got two strikes, the way he's, you know, he doesn't strike out. He literally, he just doesn't do it. And I don't know, the, the stuff he's been doing with different pitches and just placing them wherever he wants, uh, he's lived up to the hype already. And uh, I, I don't like to miss a lot of magical at bats. Yeah, his at-bats are like a Ripley's, believe it or not. Like, how does he do it? Like, defying, you can't shift the guy because he really has no... You know, his spray chart, I think, is probably one of the more even spray charts that you'll see. And the dude just hangs around 340 all day. Nick, hop in and then Pat. Well, and also pay attention to his bat flips because they're, I think they're underrated. You're not seeing them as much because, you know, with the camera angles that we get. But the way he will launch his bat and, and just fling it after a hit, it, it, it's he's got it down pat, man. <laughs> pat, hop in. Uh, the amount of 10-plus uh, uh, pitch at bats that he's had – 
are really fun to watch because you just see the pitchers going like, really tiny? You're going to foul off another one? I mean, come on, dude. Let's just do this. It is really fun to watch. I mean, I, I really enjoy him. He's the kind of guy that you watch him and you're like, oh, I feel like I know that guy or play baseball with that guy. How is he in the major leagues? And then he shows you why he's in the major leagues because of all the stuff Nick was talk talking about. He's really a fun watch. He's got that level softball swing too that like I really love a lot that I think the three of us can really appreciate and respect. And yeah, you just read about the guy. You don't really get, you know, there's not tons of clips out there uh, of him hitting before, you know, he, he made it into a White Sox uniform. So you're like, man, who is this dude? Like never strikes out, no power, but is going to hit 340. You know, how does this all work itself out? And then when you watch it out there, it's actually a real joy to watch. And it can, it's got to be, you're right, like so ultimately frustrating for opponents to go through a magic all at bat. Pat, hop in. And the perfect guy for a team that just mashes the ball at pretty much every other slot uh, in the batting order. So, you know, really a, a nice dude to have on this team and kind of a nice compliment too. That's a great point too. He just brings like an interesting dynamic and, and a blend that obviously, you know, the team is heavy in one area. You got to have guys that can do other things too as well. Uh, I, I want to go Luis Robert. I mean, every single night, I mean, that's what we are texting about, right? We're texting his exit below. Did you see that catch? Did you see that home run? Did you see what he did tonight? All that other kinds of stuff. But, you know, most fun to watch. Uh, I'm going to go Eloy Jimenez, my boy here. I mean, let's be honest. The dude hits the ball a country mile. He is like a walking Mr. Bean episode. Um, I do love me some bloopers. Uh, he's always good for that. When you cut to him in the dugout, he's, like, always laughing and smiling like someone just finished up a joke. Yeah, yeah, so I'm always, like, kind of worried. I'm wondering, like, what kind of bit he's midstream on at the time. And, you know, most fun to watch because you got to watch him. You got to keep your eye on him. You got to keep your eye on this guy. He could, he could be wandering. He could be running into nets. He could, get, he could run through a wall at any moment. And I, I just – I always enjoy his at-bats, too, as well, because he's also the classic guy where, like, 1-1 one, one count, they'll throw him like a curveball and he'll miss, you know? And then the guy will kind of come back to that curveball again and Eloy's gotcha. You know what I mean? Like he makes adjustments in at bats that I think sometimes are really, really impressive. And I think pitchers try and pull the wool over him by being like, Hey, I can go back to the well with this. But if they miss this a little bit, Eloy is on it. And he is just, he's such a talented designated hitter. He's an outfielder right now. And I think he's the most fun to watch for me personally. Nick, hop in. I was going to say, he also doesn't like buttons like a few other of our players. So he'll go down to the navel, and he's got no problem with it, especially when he jags in from left field. It's, uh, it's a different look, man. But I just appreciate all of it right now. You know, the good and the bad, these guys are damn fun to watch. Well, and, you know, and that's the thing is we're having debates about these players. There's no surefire selection of who's most fun or most improved or most important right now. There's everyone's got their own opinion and everyone's not wrong. You know, I will say about the buttons, you know, are we looking at like a Velcro future here with jerseys or is there some sort of like rip away situation that we can get going on? But yeah, this White Sox team, they don't mind showing like that little cleavage. They don't mind, you know, letting it air out a little bit in the summertime. Thank you so much for joining Pat Reedy. Great seeing you, my friend, Nick Morawski. Everyone out there, you like this podcast today, check out Good Guys Talk Back to as well. That is the uh, podcast that Nick Morawski hosts. And they got up-to-date information breaking down the game and analysis and all the future trends going on with this White Sox team. And they're on top of it all the time. So you got to make sure that you check that out. 
Today was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. The episode today was brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Looks like them White Sox in that over this year. That was a surefire bet. And now we'll see what happens to them in the playoffs. Thank you so much for listening. And we've got plenty more pods coming up the rest of this week. So make sure you check that out. Until then, be safe, be well, be good to each other. And we will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.